Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in, in Real, Real Good, good Company. company. <laughs> Z Rojas. Oh, it's so good to have you on the show. We love you so much. We are so, so happy to have this beautiful, brilliant woman to share her story with you and to share some inspiration and to share her wisdom and experience. And we are very, very lucky to have you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So Z is not only just a superstar entrepreneur here in LA, she runs Wild Hearts Agency doing PR and social media for a range of companies, lots of restaurants across LA. When I first met her, she was a Bumble Queen Bee. So she was literally a Bumble ambassador in Los Angeles. I'm like, I need to be friends with this girl. Met her husband yep. on That's Bumble. Cool. Yeah. And, and ran all of their events in LA. Your joy is infectious. And you, every time I'm with you, I feel like you teach me. You're, you're just so wise and, and thoughtful. And yeah, we're just really grateful to share your story today. And Caitlin has worked with you as well. Yes. Yeah, Z and I did a panel together at a fancy hotel in Westwood. And I remember I met you over chocolate covered strawberries and you were the host for Bumble and something else? What was it? So we, I partnered with W Westwood, the Westwood location, and we did a panel. So I just brought four like powerful females together, entrepreneurs, to talk to other entrepreneurs and tell them how they did it and give life advice. And it was a really good turnout. So that was, that was exciting. That actually reminds me, I need to reach out to, I, I never know how to pronounce her name. Is it Louise? Louise Hazel, the Olympian. Yeah, she was on the panel with us and uh, I actually reached out to her and she said she wants to do this podcast too, but I haven't followed up. So I need to do that. So, <laughs> And her gym is officially open. I think when you met her, she was just opening it. Yes. Now it's, it's called Slay. Yes. So good. We'll hear more about that in a later podcast. But right now, the focus is on you and your brilliance. So would love you to walk us through a little bit about your, your background and where you're from and a little bit of your story with what led you to what you're doing now. I just want to also just say, Z, you have such a unique story and I think you are such a bridge builder. So, but tell us a little bit about before we dive into your work, just how you grew up. So I'm originally from Ethiopia. I was adopted when I was seven, November 20th, 1994, which also happens to be my birthday. I have a tattoo on my forearm that says November 20th in Amharic, which is my original language that I no longer speak. And I have not spoken it since I was about 10, 11. Like I got it like four or five years ago. It was just kind of a reminder to just remember where you come from. And even though I wasn't really connected to that part of my life, it was just Daily reminder, living in LA, you get caught up in a lot of nonsense. So I got a tattoo where I could see it every day. So I was adopted at seven. My parents brought me to a very small, very, 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 very white community in Indiana. So I grew up being, um, and my family's amazing. They, you know, they did the best they knew how to do. But I grew up, especially now, there's a lot to think about growing up because I grew up in a 
I was the only black kid in my school. I think most of my life, I think one black kid joined at one point, and I, I remember being upset because I had gotten comfortable being the token black person in the community. <laughs> but so yeah, I, I, uh, I grew up very white. It's all kind of relevant right now too, going through what everybody's going through. And I moved to LA when I was nineteen. I, I didn't do what my parents wanted me to do. You know, my dad's a doctor; he's a surgeon. My sisters are very book smart. Um, I was a little rebellious, but I was, I mean, I did fine in school. I wasn't perfect days, but I didn't fail. So, you know, high school, I got, I got the bare minimum done. I was a little more wild. My sisters were very into the books. They did everything that my parents wanted them to do. So when college came around, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And that's not really something a doctor wants to hear for their child. (laughs) They want you to do the four years of college and this. So, you know, my parents are very generous. They paid for our college. Uh, as long as we were in school. And I was like, I can't, I did one year, a major that my dad kind of pushed me into doing uh, was art school. I had a talent for art, but not because I like loved it or practiced it. It was just something, I see something and I draw it. I don't know how to explain it. But my dad was like, this is something, you know, computer graphics, they make a lot of money and they're, you know, they're, they're really needed. So I went to one year of art school, at Heron Art School in Indiana, and I dropped out. I was like, I'm moving to California. And I'd never been to California before, (laughs) but before I made my decision to come to California, it was between California and New York because I wanted, I knew I wanted to be in a big city. Don't ask me why, because I'd never been in a big city. I grew up in a tiny town. I just knew that like internally, there was just a lot that I could do and, and experience and see and, you know, but the day I was moving, it was between New York and LA. And I was like, well, I've never been to either. I just had my little Jetta that I packed all my clothes in and whatever, whatever would fit in there was a little stick shift Jetta. But that day my sister said bye to me and I decided to go to LA because I thought I'd have to sleep in my car because I had no job, no money, no friends at either places. Like it is, it was just random choices, but I really wanted to go to New York. (laughs) And the only reason I ended up in LA is I thought I would have to sleep in my car until I figured it out. And I was like, well, I know LA probably has parking and, (laughs) and nice weather. And I was like, New York, I might freeze in my car or I might have to go to the next state to park. So that was literally my only deciding factor of how I ended up here. <laughs> I don't regret it. Wow. So I, yeah, and I've been here since 13 years, 14 years. I don't know. It's, it feels like forever. And Z, before we dive into mm-hmm. your work, tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about what happened. If you're, you're comfortable sharing of reconnecting with your birth mother. Year and that happened ago. a few years ago. Yeah. So I'd grown up my whole life thinking that my parents abandoned me. And even though, you know, technically for a better life, it doesn't mean that the child doesn't still have like feelings of abandonment. I don't know. It's like weird to explain. So I, I understood the concept of they may have done it for a better life, but you're still kind of like, well, why'd they give me away? So that was kind of like my story and my narrative for my entire life. And then about three years ago, I get a message on Facebook. And it was somebody saying, I know your mom. And I was like, I'm sure you do. (laughs) You know, because there's a lot of people that just, and it's unfortunate. There's a lot of people that try to get money from people. And there's a lot of scams out there, especially on the internet. And then I realized that person had messaged me three years prior that Facebook had filtered that message and I'd never seen it. So I was like, okay, they're reaching back out to me. So I said, oh, you know, send me a photo. And they send me a photo and this lady looks just like me. I think I shared it on Facebook. And she looked, and I had a photo of my mother from being adopted. My family actually had photos of her. 
So I was like, holy cow. And then I was like, okay, cool. Like that's an old photo. Send me a video of her like in real time. And so Ali, I think you saw the video that I shared of her just crying. I mean, I don't, I don't know what she said because she was speaking in Ethiopian and I, I can't speak it anymore. But she was just, you don't have to understand the words just to see like her emotions. Uh, it was just a video of her just falling to the ground, crying. Cause like, I think the person said, I found your daughter and she's been looking for me for 23 years. So my husband and I flew out there to meet her pretty much immediately. Cause it's like, how do you kind of sit on that? <laughs> so we flew out there to meet her. We hired a translator and it's very, very sad, sad trip. You know, she's found out, I shared a lot of it on social media just because there's a lot of people that supported our trip there. So I just felt like I owed it to them <laughs> to kind of like go along the journey with us. Uh, but you know, she was homeless. She basically lived like in a tin box and she had health issues. She had cancer. She couldn't see, but she can't afford $5 glasses or, you know, an $18 doctor's appointment. So it was very, very different. I mean, I don't know what my expectation was, but I don't think it was that, especially since, you know, someone found me on Facebook, but I found out she didn't give me up. I was actually taken from her and sold to my family. My family did everything correctly. My family adopted me from an agency. Like they didn't do anything wrong. But on the other end in Ethiopia, they were taking people's kids with like false promises of certain things. And then you never see your kid again. So I think they told her that they were going to get me some education or something. And then, you know, she never saw me again. And for 23 years, that is literally all she all her friends that I met, they're like every day, that's all she talks about. And anyone that would listen to her, she would say, you know, here's my daughter, here's an email or here's this. And she found my information because my family used to write to the lady that got me adopted, pretty much tricked my mom into taking me. But we used to write to her because we thought she was family. And we found out the truth that she wasn't family. And it was kind of a nightmare for my birth mom back home. And so my mom kind of broke into their house and stole all these letters and photos. She sounds like me because I probably would do that. <laughs> but she she took all these letters and stuff that my family and I would write. My mom would t- send photos of, to to that lead to that random lady who I thought was my family. Like I I grew up thinking she was like grandma type to me. Um, but we'd write to her. I'd write to her. We used to talk on the phone when my fam- family first adopted me. My parents used to call Ethiopia and I would talk to this lady. So. It was very, not what I expected the story to be, but yeah. That is, that is my worst nightmare as, as a mother having, I mean, I can't even imagine that type of trauma and horrific, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I mean, it was, I mean, it was really amazing. I was able to buy her a home and, or, you know, she had a subsidized place that she couldn't even afford. It was $25 a month. She can't afford it. So she was renting it to somebody just to basically not lose it but I ended up just buying that for her. So she has somewhere to sleep and she wanted that, that specific place, I guess. I wanted to figure out a way to get her something nicer. And she's like, no, I want it. She doesn't want a lot, which is so amazing. And then we were able to figure out her, her cancer and get treatments for her. And we got her eyeglasses and it was really cute. Cause when I took her to the eye doctor, it was like 20 bucks for the whole appointment. I mean, here it's like what, 500 bucks, but her glasses prescription, she's, she's nearsighted and farsighted. So when the doctor told her that she, I said, well, okay, well, I'll get you glasses. And she thought she had to choose between seeing close up or far away. 
And she's like, I want those CFAR. You know, she told the translator and I'm like, no, I'll get you both. It's literally like $12 per prescription. But that's how different their life is there. Like with the things we take for granted here, she can't afford to see for $12, you know? So I'm really curious. I, I know there's so much more to your story and I know we're just scratching the surface of the very, very beginning of it. But I'm really curious how your story, what's going on in the world right now? How How is it affecting you? How are you feeling? Harder than I thought. <laughs> it's harder than you thought? Because like I told Ali, it's like, oh, I just found out I'm black. I think all my friends just found out I'm black because it's, it's just different. It's, um, you just, you go with the narrative you're given, I guess. But I grew up, I grew up very white. Like I grew up thinking I was white. Cause that's all, that's the only thing I knew. That's the only culture I knew. I've never experienced, I've always known I was black, but as far as like my behaviors, I didn't like, I didn't, and I have a few black friends who are really good friends of mine, but like, I didn't fit into that culture. Like if you put me in a room with a bunch of black people, I wouldn't know how to, to behave because I was not around it which is, again, the problem with most white people. They don't know how to behave either. But if you put me in a room with a bunch of white people, I'm super comfortable because that's all I've ever known. I talk like them. I speak like, you know, I have a lot more in common with them. And that was the part that I think was the hardest for me. But instead of like, think, instead of taking, like learning more about it, I just kind of dismissed it. And I think it's easier, which is like, it goes back to the thing with racism. It's easier for people to, pretend like it doesn't exist, then have to do the work to figure out how to fix it. So I just kind of went about my life and I was like, oh, I'm fine. And the whole thing was like, I'm fine. So to me, I didn't really think about other people because I was fine. I didn't experience racism. My, you know, no one treated me differently in school. I had my own, my own personal issues and like, you know, my standard of beauty and used to straighten my hair because I thought that's what looked pretty, but I had those, but I never like was afraid to walk outside. I was never afraid because of my skin color. I was never, I never experienced that. I never thought, I never felt like I lost opportunities because I was black. I felt like I didn't understand. I didn't understand that. So I'm like, okay, you know, doesn't have anything to do with me, which again, goes back to the whole problem with racism. Hmm. Say more on that. What, What do you mean? It's, you know, the whole problem with racism is people, people aren't affected by it. So they don't see it. Yeah. That they, they can just kind of blind it. eye. It's easier just to go about your life than say that there is a problem and I'm the part of the solution, but to be part of the solution, you got to do a lot of work mm. and it's lazy mentality to say that there's no problem. So what has this been bringing up for you the last couple of weeks, this current cultural moment that we're in? I mean, a lot. I mean, like, a, I realized I actually did have a lot more feelings and emotions about what's happening than I, than I was willing to discuss or face. Cause like I said, it's easier not to talk about it and just go about your life. But even like, you know, there was a time, I think I, sh- I shared it on Instagram, but there was a time I felt really lonely and really lost and you wouldn't have known it from talking to me, but that's how I felt internally. Cause I didn't know, I didn't really identify with anything. I did not identify with, with black community. I didn't identify with the white because even though I behaved like I was white and that's who I grew up around. They didn't also understand a lot about me either. So there was like, where do I belong? I don't know. So that was, that's something I've been thinking about a lot is I think I grew up most of my life, not really knowing where I fit in. And I kind of just made my own little, you know, community of friends and my own um, way of living. 
but I think community is really, really important. I think that was missing from my life for a very long time, which again, I think is why I really love community because I felt like I never had it. Now, this is a little bit of a pivot and I, I want to come back to the issue of race, but I, I would love to know a little bit more about your career and how you got to where you are and what advice you have for other people that want to get into the line of work you're in. Well, first I used to work in restaurant. I've worked in the restaurant industry since I was 16. My first job was at Applebee's in Indiana, but I've just always loved it. I loved waiting on people. I know most people don't like waiting tables. I loved it. I made some really great friends. And it was like a game to see how like how much they would like you from your service. Because I believe when people go out to dine, they go out for the experience. They don't go out for you to tell them that they're wrong. Or The customer is always right. So I really enjoyed the part of serving others. So I waited tables up until, honestly, like I was 25. Then I got my real estate license and still waited tables on the side because it takes forever to you know close your first deal. But when I got my real estate license, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. So I did homes for a minute and I was like, "Mm -mm, this isn't for me. Cause I think my first showing, it was like, I don't know, a lady like was like, this is a great house, but like the wall color is wrong. And I'm like, paint the wall. Like I don't. So I was like, this is not for me. I can't, I can't deal with people like this. So then I was like, I'm going to do commercial real estate. And I decided to sell restaurants cause I kept gravitating back to restaurants. So I became like four years of doing it. I had, I became like, a restaurant expert in LA. So many of the agents knew me. It was great. Like I made a really great name for myself doing it as like a 20 some year old, you know, people are like, who are you? But I had really great mentors. Um, and then I got burnt out on that because it wasn't creative. It was just transactions. So I was like, I want to start my own business. And I was like, what am I good at? So I, I figured out everything I'd love to do. I love social media. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a great platform for community building, for business, for inspiration. It's also can be used for bad, of course, but I just, I love it. I love photography. I love art. Was it something I went to school for, but I love art. So I was like, oh, I'll start a digital marketing company. That makes so much sense. So I just quit. I literally announced on Facebook as my accountability. I'm like, as of today, I'm no longer. <laughs> and here's what I do now. I own a business. And I'm like, I had no clients. And no, I didn't know what to do. I didn't go to marketing school. So it's, people were like, what? You, you have marketing experiences? Like, no, but I have a Google. Well, and also when I started my company, I, I realized I didn't want to do PR and marketing for random brands. Like I don't wear makeup. I know nothing about makeup. My hair just dries away. Like I don't know about beauty, so I can't do beauty. Fashion, I can dress myself, but I don't know about fashion. So I was like, what do I know and love? And I was like, food, restaurants. So I'm, I stayed with just food and restaurants, which I think worked to my benefit is because I chose something that I love. I was able to give my clients 110%, which is why I was able to build the business. So Caitlin, to go back to your question of how people can build their business is find out what you love and, and the money will come and the clients will come. But if you do it, just, you know, I did real estate cause everybody else was doing it and they were making a lot of money. It didn't take long for me to be like, this kind of sucks. I don't like it. Mm. So, so as someone who is truly an expert in social media and I love your Instagram account, by the way, follow at zero Haas. Absolutely love it. But, but how do you think kind of two-part question. I would love to talk about how you see the importance of social media in storytelling for businesses today, especially in industries like a restaurant where you wouldn't think that social media is 
is maybe important or necessary. And and then secondly, I would love to move back to this current moment that we're in and kind of the power of social media in driving this movement around Black Lives Matter. Well, for restaurants, I think it's really important. And I don't think restaurants realize that until the last couple of years, to be honest, or last few years. But we eat with our eyes first. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a new restaurant, the first thing I do is look up to see what kind of food photos they have. Because I'm like, okay, that looks appetizing. I'm going to go there. So that's the importance for restaurants to have it is because, yeah, reviews and Yelp are great, but you don't get to see what, like, you don't, you're not excited about what you're going to order and what you're going to eat. And people will come to your restaurant based on literally one photo. They'll be like, I want that. So that's why that's important for them. I find so much, like for me personally, I, some people might call it oversharing, but I love to share because I think, I think there's plenty of just, you know, there's plenty of content that are not that important, but I think some people, like you, if you inspire one person from sharing something that matters, I think that's huge. I mean, I think the platform is, that's the point of the whole platform. So for me personally, I, I think it's important to not only share just a, you know, the everyday outfit of the day, but things that actually matter and that, that speak to people and that if they see you being kind of open and honest, they're like, oh, I can be open and honest instead of, and I think social media has become kind of scary, you know, cause people, you don't know what's real. You don't know what's fake, you know, uh, Photoshopping people that put on a persona. It, it's a, it's a scary place. And I think as far as mental awareness, it does a lot of mental damage to people. So for me personally, I think it's important that we use, a, if you have a platform and you have a following, like it's way more important to share meaningful things than the things that, I don't know, I don't want to say don't matter, but yeah. Uh, Speaking of, we actually used you at the Giving Keys as one of our models and you, uh, you, you lit up our social media feed. I'm not a model. <laughs> you know, I think that is a really good point. I think that maybe we can do a reshoot, another shoot, and, and bring your, weave your story into it a little bit and weave your story into the different words that you're wearing on our products and what they mean to you. And yeah, I love that. So, so Z, in this current moment that we're in, I mean, I feel like so much of the Black Lives Matter movement is being driven and inspired across social media. What are you seeing, experiencing? What's what's giving you hope? What's frustrating? Like, what's your kind of take on this moment from a social media standpoint? I think if it wasn't for social media, I'm not quite positive we would have had a revolution right now of movement. I think the power of social media, I mean, look what it started. And that's purely based on social media. That's not based on watching the news or texting your friends. That's what we're seeing in the content we're consuming and resharing and restoring. We had 50,000 people uh, protest, or, you know, peacefully too. It was no issues in Hollywood. That's all from social media, passing the messages around. That's why I say it's, if you're going to have a platform, use it for that. I think it's been amazing for that and showing awareness you know, the, the video of George Floyd, it was on the news, but you guys think it would have circulated the way it did without social media? It wouldn't have. People that recorded it wouldn't have had a platform to show it because they, you know, you could send it to a news outlet. Do you think they would have posted it? Absolutely not. So that's the power of social media. Literally, we've changed laws <laughs> from social media. The other part of it is it's also, you know, a place where people 
bully and they're quick to throw stones and they're quick to be judgmental, but also quick to be on bandwagons. And that's the part that to me has been frustrating is I think change is really, really important, but you can't, you can't bully people into changing, but it's also frustrating to see people that are following kind of quote unquote a trend right now without actually knowing what they're following or having uh, a plan for how they're going to move forward to actually be part of the change. And that really showed during the, the black box Tuesday, the blackout Tuesday, where everybody posted a black box. I think that's when I noticed it the most where people were posting that as kind of like, oh, I've done my bare minimum. So now I can move on with my life. I showed that I support, but that's not a black box isn't going to save someone's life. A black box isn't going to end racism. What are you going to do moving forward? Not just to be on trend because that's what everybody's doing in the same day. You know, we had, I, I saw people posting the box and then like, you know, had all their selfies the whole day. So it was like, the point was missed. And that to me was very frustrating to watch. And it was also disappointing to watch in the people that you think are, they're, they're, again, you don't want to say they're, nobody's a bad person. It's more of, it's hard to see it and not be like, not judge it a little bit. Cause I'm like, you're, you're part of the problem though, because you don't see the problem. You're indifferent to the problem. So that's been the frustrating part for me. And you see all that on social media because people, people have to share their sandwiches, you know? So when you see sandwiches pop up during like a really just, just inappropriate time, you're like, that's to me, I'm like that sandwich, sharing that sandwich mattered so much to you, but you haven't used your voice at all for something that actually matters. So that's been the frustrating part for me with social media. Do you have any wisdom or advice or tips to leave with our audience? Anything that is on your heart, whether it's about Black Lives Matter or it's about being a woman of color, owning your own business. Is there a message that you want to get out into the world? I think it's just having compassion. You don't have to understand what's going on, but wanting to be open to learning. And that's the thing that I personally makes me sad as people, people don't want to see and they don't have compassion for other people that when they're not directly affected. And at any point in the world, it can be you. Something happened to you and you're going to need someone's support. You're going to need society's support. So giving that same energy back to your neighbor is the message I think has been missed by a lot of people. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's so true. Well, Zia, I love the way that you tell your story online and share with just such vulnerability and authenticity. And you're someone who I look to that inspires me on using my platform in better ways. So just thanks for going first and sharing with us a little bit about your background and what you're seeing right now. And we just, we love you and adore you, everything about you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for being on. We love you. Everyone go follow her. What is your uh, Instagram or, or any place that people can find you? Uh, at Z dot Rojas. Is it Z E E? Z E E dot R O J A S. Nice. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you. Beautiful angel inside and out. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys for joining this episode of Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. 
Music from this episode is probably from one of Caitlin's old demos. <laughs> Megan Schwindling was our producer. And thank you guys so much for joining. And always remember to stay in real, real good, good company. company.